try and understand what's in the deal for the other party. So ultimately, like with our business, it was just a matter of GoDaddy could go and build what we'd built if they wanted to. Like they could figure out how to do it, but what what they were basically paying for was time and reducing their risk. So they didn't need to spin up a team or a project to go and do it. They didn't need to figure out all of the plumbing. They didn't need to do any of that. They could just buy it off the, you know, off the shelf and kind of bolt it on. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 126 of the Life After Business podcast. I hope you enjoyed your holidays. And we are off to 2019, and I'm excited to launch it off with this episode with Alex McClafferty because Alex has an awesome story about how he founded WP Curve, which was the first WordPress customer support company, and grew that from 2013 and to eventually sell it to GoDaddy in 2016. And Alex, during our conversation, shares all of the ups and downs of what it was like in his partnership, what it was like scaling the business, and then how he had to take a crash course in mergers and acquisitions because GoDaddy knocked on the door and he sat across the table from GoDaddy of all people who are in the business of doing acquisitions. And he did it himself with a couple other trusted advisors. And Alex shares all the things that he wishes he would have done a little bit differently at the negotiation, what it was like running the business and also selling the company at the same time. But he also gave a bunch of color of what it was like working as an employee for someone else and how he left a bunch of money on the table to be true to himself so he could get back into entrepreneurship and do one-on-one coaching and consulting for software as a service companies. It was absolutely a blast talking to Alex and we go back and forth about all the different things that we both wish we would have done differently in our actual exits and totally worth your time because you're hearing it from Alex who's gone through it all the things that you need to be thinking about today and what you're gonna eventually deal with when you sell your company. And one last little note, if you're interested in working on a one-on-one basis and you want some one-on-one coaching and consulting on how to grow and exit your company, reach out to me at ryan at gxpcollaborative.com or shoot me a LinkedIn message and we can have a conversation about where you're at, what are the things that you're trying to figure out and if there's a way that I could potentially help I'm only taking on five people and this is new because not everybody's ready for a full-blown growth and exit plan, but they are willing to invest some time and some energy in order to sift through all the information and to make sure they're going in the right direction. Other than that, without further ado, here's my episode with Alex. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Alex, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm uh, doing good. I'm excited to hear your story because you and I are fellow community members of the uh, Rhodium Weekend community online and Mr. Yates is a good friend of both of ours and kind of the ringleader of a bunch of really cool people and you uh, didn't end up coming and doing your presentation. I'm looking forward to kind of hearing your story and when we can get your voice and your story out to all the people that would have heard you. So I'm excited to, to dive in. You got a pretty interesting background and you know, for the listeners, maybe let's just Start off, Alex, like how, you know, what's some of the background that you had and what led up to you uh, joining and uh, starting a business? Yeah, it's a, of course a long story, but I'll try and keep it concise. Um, in my 
in my early career, I guess I was, you know, focused on making as much money as I possibly could. So I, I guess I started um, as a slinging, slinging insurance as a, uh, a phone, a phone rep. So I was selling, you know, those guys that call you up and they're like, Hey, do you want to buy some life insurance while you're in the middle of the dinner? Um, <laughs> I, I, I started out as one of those guys and uh, threw myself into that field because I couldn't get any other work and then ended up um, kind of rolling through as a team leader in call centers, which is a great way to learn management. If you want to ever learn how to manage people, having uh, grown men cry at you uh, when you talk about their performance metrics on the phone is a good way to get to get to really you know know people. And after that, I you know really started to chase the dollar. So I went into business analysis and project management and was making you know good money as a contract consultant to different uh, companies in Australia, so banks and telcos and even some government work. Um, and then in 2013, I moved out to the US and I had that, I'd read practically every book on entrepreneurship that you could. And of course, the four-hour work week was the top of that list. Nice. Um, and, you know, heavily, heavily into Mixergy and all of that good stuff. And um, I'd been following this guy called Dan Norris. Um, and Dan had uh, like a really interesting story. So he'd worked on a web design agency, had a web design agency for seven years. He'd sold it, um, taken the capital from that, tried to build out a SaaS company. Um, and I think for 11, he worked on that for 11 months and around the 12th month, he basically burned through the capital and either needed to figure out an idea or go back and get a job. So um, he came up with this idea for doing 24-7 WordPress support. And the stars so aligned that I've been reading some of his stuff as, you know, a, a hungry fellow who's chasing the entrepreneurial dream and, you know, was really inspired by his story. And there was a blog post that he put out that I actually responded to in the comments. He was talking about the concept of, you know, startup validation being being nonsense. And, uh, yeah, so I said to him, hey, you know, are you looking for are looking to partner up with someone to, you know, get this thing off the ground? Because... I'd felt the pain of dealing with WordPress, uh, <laughs> WordPress themes yeah. and issues and everything else. And I always told the story that I had a blog. Um, I tried to edit the header four hours later. It looked worse than when I started. Um, so I figured if there were you know more than a thousand people like me out there who were semi <laughs> right. uh, technically literate, you know there was a business opportunity there. So you know we jumped straight into it and. Uh, Big, a lot of big life changes happening around that time for me. But ultimately, you know, we jumped headfirst into this opportunity, and the market timing was phenomenal because WordPress is a complex, ever-growing um, platform, and ended up getting some good traction with it. And ultimately, I think about the where were we a couple of years into the business, we had GoDaddy come and kind of knock on our door and say, "Hey." We like what you guys are doing. We're thinking of doing something ourselves. Do you want to talk about, you know, joining the team? So the in-between of all of that is where the real meat and potatoes is. But ultimately, like the, all of these kind of stars aligned to, to have, have me land uh, in GoDaddy at the end of December 2016. So, you know, about three and a half years of, of effort and building a team of, a remote team of folks all around the world, Philippines. Africa, Costa Rica, Hungary, um, and then taking that business 
and trying to build it at a at a scale which could support the, the GoDaddy base, which is a, a significant, a couple of orders of magnitude bigger than what we were dealing with at the time. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, right? <laughs> so, oh yeah. Well, I, by the way, I just got a comment on that that four hour header thing. I mean, like I've been down that <laughs> myself, so it's like, oh my gosh. So, and you guys are pretty early on into this too, because I mean, like, it, it's very interesting, when, especially when you mentioned the four hour work week. I can kind of see how some of those dots connected to kind of lead you to that. So, like, when you would, you know, going from that comment thread to actually having the conversation about, Hey, there's a business, like how did you guys structure it? And what was like, what were the conversations you guys were having of like, what is this business? What do you want it to be? How did you buy it? What did you buy in? Like what, how, like how, what was the kind of the inception of the business there between you two? Yeah, it was, it was completely sweat equity and completely me taking the risk off the table for Dan. So when I landed in the States, um, I had a 90 day window, uh, which is the, the I guess it's like, for a motivated person, they basically put you on the bench. So there were 90 days where I couldn't actually get a job in the US. Mm. So it was kind of forcing my hand to keep me busy. And it so happened that that 90 day window was after I got to the US and I was in conversations with Dan and said, look, um, you know, I, I'm not asking for any equity. I'm not even asking for any salary or any, anything else because it's such an early, early stage of the business. But, you know, let me, like, let me work with you. And we'll see how we go. And then if we get some traction, you know, post that window of time, then, you know, we can get back into the you know, equity split and all that good stuff. Because basically, like in the early days, you know, 50% of nothing is nothing. So it didn't really matter. And I had something to prove anyway. Yeah. So I was willing, willing to put in the big hours. But yeah, as far as like what the opportunity was and all that good stuff, like I had to pull, uh, like pull back and look at the overall market. And just work on the like the assumption that keeping it really simple that there were like a thousand or more people just like me who had been through that pain. Um, and in hindsight, in retrospect, like the, the model that um, we worked through, which is this productized service model, like if you can if you get on a forum and you find people screaming about a problem like WordPress or you know a bunch of other different platforms or even you know day to day things like transcription, podcast editing, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that can be spun up into a service business that can make you a bunch of money that you can run a team on that can have a nice, you know, exit at the end of it. Like it's not easy to get to, but that model um, will bolt onto practically, practically any service that has an ongoing need. So yeah, just a little, I don't know, a little nugget there. No, there is a little nugget too. And like, what well, we should put a pin in that and come back to it because I uh, just interviewed Walker who just wrote the book, uh, Buy Then Build. And I think because mm-hmm. you know, one of his biggest things is that it's very difficult to find the product fit and the pricing fit in the marketplace. And like what you're talking about is circumventing that whole painful process because you're just having people tell you what they want. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like, it's, it slaps you in the face. It's so obvious. And like, as an example with WordPress, like WordPress was the platform that we chose. Um, but when we had, like when I had a call with a prospective investor, they're like, why aren't you doing this for all of the online platforms? Why are you doing this to Squarespace and Wix and Weebly and everyone else? And then would be interested. And I'm like, well, you know, it gets like significantly more complex to do that. But the opportunity, like the opportunities are, are right there. So anyone mm-hmm. can pick it up and go and run with it and apply it to, a, to something that's painful that people are swearing at their computer about. 
So when you guys, so after you, let's take the, maybe this in some chunks, just uh, like along the, 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 the journey is like, so you get, you're then kind of working your butt off and you're proving yourself, you know, what was the, the conversations you were both having? Was it, was an exit in mind from the beginning it, or was it in like, no, what, no? Um, not at all. So I think in the early stages, it was just, I think we both really had something to prove. Um, so Dan had had you know, years and years of uh, challenge and struggle and really done the hard yards um, as far as his web design agency went. Like he was doing the 3am phone calls and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. he'd had a, a really hard time and then had, you know, another year of pretty much failure after that with the software company. So it was like the, the short-sightedness was actually, I think, a benefit in some sense because we were only thinking to like hit the next month's growth target um, <laughs> rather than some highfalutin goal about, you know, we're going to get this multiple or that multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what happened and what I see happen with people that I work with in the coaching capacity is they realize they're actually onto something and they realize they're, they're building like real equity and real value. Um, and then, you know, uh, along the same, like, I guess in the same vein, you know, founder motivations change. So, Dan and I had different motivations. We had like we're going in different directions, and that was probably obvious about you know eighteen months into the business. So we had to start looking and thinking about uh, thinking about that, and like working out like what's what are our options. So you know, in two thousand sixteen, I basically like I was convinced that one way or another there was going to be uh, like an exit like an exit scenario, whether it was like me selling to Dan, Dan selling to me or, you know, a company like putting it on the open market or maybe a company coming along and, you know, having a look mm-hmm. at us and acquiring us. Um, and we were just lucky that the timing kind of landed that GoDaddy was, GoDaddy was looking to solve a problem they had internally and I was ready to like put in the work to, to drive the acquisition process. So like, what was the, what were the different needs and wants between you and Dan? Like what where, where did the, and what were the conversations that kind of led up to the point where you guys realized that there's, you know, diverging interests? Yeah. So Dan is like, Dan is a starter. He is the guy that gets in and starts stuff. And if you, if you like went back through the internet, internet machine or whatever it is, the way back machine, you'd see that like throughout uh, WP Curve days, we started a bunch of different stuff while we were already sitting on a really viable business. So we started a community for content marketers and we started, um, you know, a paid plugin that was similar to lead pages, but very heavily focused on WordPress. And so he's, he had this like insatiable uh, need to go out and start stuff and do stuff and build stuff and create. Um, where I was a little bit slower and I was going, well, you know, we can, we can, you know, focus in on what this opportunity is and try and push it forward. But because like where we're at individually stages in our lives and everything else, we just were really focused on different things. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, to share with some listeners how you start to identify this stuff, like it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. Um, you'll notice it with, within communication. So for us, you know, our communication started to, you know, kind of drift away. Um, I was a big proponent of that. And I, like I started to really pull back rather than get mm-hmm. into, you know, what was going through my head, how I was feeling, where I was. And then I just started to pull my energy into, into other things and started to do software consulting uh, in, in San Francisco where I was. So like you see this, and I see this with founders all the time, there's, there's an opportunity, there's something that if they kind of, 
uh, are consistent and push on it and focus on it, then you can go ahead and like, build something really sustainable and substantial. Um, but this, it's not, it's not necessarily even like a shiny object syndrome or anything else. It's just your motivation changes or the mm-hmm. novelty kind of wears off or things come up in your life where, uh, you know, what was a huge priority is not so big a priority anymore. Mm-hmm. But letting that fester, like letting that, that fester and not addressing it point blank. Um, if I could go back and, you know, change some things, which there's a laundry list of things that I would do. Um, one of those would be to go back and have these conversations up front and say, Hey, you know, we're going in different directions. Um, let's be, let's be structured and smart about how we do this. And I, when I talk to people who are taught, like thinking about getting into partnerships, I remind them that it is just a bit, just as big a commitment as a marriage. Um, you kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be spending so much time talking to and working with this person. And there's, you're going to have like a lot of your financial eggs in this basket and you know, um, how you show up in that is, hugely important takes a lot of I guess maturity and mm-hmm. a lot of the times you only learn that after the fact but you know huge learning curve with all of that well I can't tell you how awesome that was that you articulated it like that because there's so many like I mean honestly I've been there done that and seen it in different companies I've been involved in and you know there's a there's actually this personality test called uh, the Colby where there's like a bunch of, and I can't remember all the different ways of like if how you show up and how you present or like how you handle decisions in the world and one of them is quick start. So it sounds like you know Dan was a little mm-hmm. bit quick start and it's, it's kind of like you know you get into it and you you're doing these things and you just being self aware of it is difficult in the moment and like when you talk about like you know you pulling back from a relationship you know, it's just the easier thing to do. Cause it's like, okay, I have there's so much stuff to deal with. Like how do you value the business? What are the different things? And you start to like go into this mind thing. So it's just easier to do other things. <laughs> but then, you know, like you had said, there, there's this financial asset that's there that if you communicate correctly, you can both figure out a way to handle it together. So how did you guys like start coming, to, you know, like where did the relationship go and how did, how was the, like the day to day, you know, handling there? And then how did you guys start having those conversations about what you both wanted to do. Yeah. So we were, I guess the, the distance that we had and the time zones that we we're working in allowed us to kind of do our own thing and work on our own stuff. So um, Dan was in Australia, I was in San Francisco and um, just to get back onto that point of like fading, fading out, which is something that I had done a couple of times as the acquisition process for GoDaddy started to really take shape. I had to pull back from, um, the consulting work that I was doing, but I also didn't really communicate that as clearly as I needed to to my consulting partner, which ended up like I ended up having two very like fractured relate, like, very fractured business relationships on my hands. So, um, you know, on top of the uh, mounting pressure of pushing the deal through and everything else, mm-hmm. you, you kind of lose sight of you lose sight of these things and just put your head down. But I think um, getting back to the original question, like thinking about like valuation and what we each want um because because of the nature of our business there wasn't like there wasn't necessarily comps so you could go and look at a service business or you could look at like for example a recruitment business or like a typical internet business and at that point in time which is 2000 2016 you know i talked to a few different business brokers and they threw a bunch of different um valuation models at me but it was very heavily you know, weighted towards uh, SDE, which is seller discretionary earnings, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, as far as I was concerned, 
like we built, I felt like we built something that was worth more than what I was getting as far as the valuation. And it wasn't, maybe it was partly pride, um, but the amount of like energy and effort that you pour into something um, kind of, <laughs> it becomes your baby, it becomes a part of you and you don't want to go and like flog it off for, you know, a tiny multiple. So as I guess as the conversation started to tick over with GoDaddy and to dig into like, what would this look like as far as a multiple went? You know, I had I had a multiple in mind where I'd be like, yeah, that's absolutely, you know, that's a set, like that's a sell and walk away kind of price. Mm-hmm. Um, but where it got, but where it gets sticky, and this is another thing that gets sticky for founders, is the thing, the concept of okay, I'll sell it and walk away. Um, if you're integrating into a larger company, a larger company is often going to want at least one person to stay back. Mm-hmm. and integrate and land the team and land all the, the, the product and the processes and everything else. And that was that that became the contingency of the deal. Like I kind of needed to be there to steer the thing um, you know, into port. And uh I was probably ready to let it go at that point. Like I didn't want to. I wanted to see things through and make sure the team built the data and everything else. But again the I guess the internal conflict that arises out of all of that is you know, you're hanging on. You want to do the right thing, but then uh, you, you keep, like you're doing this dance where you can't can't let go, but you need to. <laughs> so but you, <laughs> it's like you know, and you know what I'm talking about, oh right? You know like the, I like how you say internal conflict, and I like it's like internal horrible torture. That's <laughs> what it is, because especially yeah. as entrepreneurs, don't you think, Alex? Like we're used to kind of just doing what we want. So like then all of a sudden when you're like almost trapped. <laughs> Just like, how do I get out of this? <laughs> well, here's the thing, and this is the, the mistake, and this is again a mistake, and I could be this is cathartic for me to talk about. But the mistake I made is like, cool, like I'll I'll put the team on my back, I'll figure out how to get this done, I'll go and make this all happen. And again, the ego and the pride gets in the way of some of this stuff because it's like, oh, you know, I've got big enough shoulders to carry all of this stuff, but you know after pushing the deal through and landing and having a bunch of personal stuff happen, you know, you, you quickly figure out that you are human and you, you will get eventually like all of this stuff will catch up and, and maybe, you know, put you out of action for a little while, which is what happened to me. So, um, you know, a lot of weight to bear. Um, and especially when there's people's livelihoods on the line, cause it's not just you looking out for yourself, but I'm looking out for, you know, the 30 people that we brought over. So, yeah, pressure. <laughs> pressure, right? And so let's uh, maybe kind of go back to the the financials, and I want to kind of walk through like the actual process because you know you saying you did it yourself, which I know I I also can relate to is extremely stressful. And you know what is uh when you're looking at the numbers, did you have a number like did you do any like net proceeds or tax planning or something like that? Going okay, here's how much Alex and Dan are going to walk away with, and here's going to be what's contingent, or was it just like? top line like let's this is appealing enough and i hope like i hope i have a pretty good understanding of what i get how like what was your clarity in that yeah i went i went i like backwards modeled it from all of the different kind of tax standpoints depending on the so as a i guess a bit of a story um when i knew that we were really in play i read a what was it like a 200 or a 300 word a 300 page book that was about m&a um, over a weekend and basically did that ET thing where he picks up a book and like scans <laughs> through the whole thing. Yep. So yep. I gave him, I gave myself a crash course in understanding the difference between a, you know, an asset sale and a stock sale and, 
you know, um, different tax implications and all of that sort of stuff. So I had it modeled very clearly as to what my net would be, mm -hmm. um, depending on different, uh, the different kind of, uh, structures that the deal will go throughout. So I knew all of that back to front and I did like, when I say I pushed it through, um, I had a great accountant. Um, his name's Avery Dorland. Um, he was, you know, he was very, <laughs> very uh, responsive, which is what you need in a time like that. And also had an attorney, his name's David Klein. Um, and they work, I think they're out of Colorado and they work with small, um, small to mid, mid market companies that are going through acquisitions. They were super, super responsive, which was incredibly important because, right. um, you know, if you're not getting, if you're not hearing from the other side of the table as far as the, the buyer goes, you at least want to have your ducks in a row and be ready to, like, ready to hit on I'll diligence or ready to answer questions. My uh, my CPA went on a big hunting trip in the middle of our deal. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like, or you can, or you can go and work. You can go and work with an attorney that just has you as like, you know, you're a tiny, tiny part of their book of business, and they'll get to you in 24 hours or 48 hours, and you are like, you've got your livelihood on the line. So. Yeah, you, that, that's it's already stressful enough. Um, you you want to get a, you want to rally a team around you that's going to be available to help. So it's super interesting because you got your team that sounds like was pretty badass. And why why did you decide to do it yourself? I mean, like how did like in where in the lineup of like you and Dan kind of figuring out like this is kind of where we want to go? And then like how long was it before GoDaddy knocked on the door? And like what was your like in like internal or personal journey of getting to the point where it was GoDaddy? Like how long did that take and why did you not decide to use an intermediary? Yeah, I definitely shopped it. Like I definitely looked around and talked to a few folks in San Francisco and talked to, talked to different prospective buyers and just try, kind of fielded it and try and get a taste of like whether there was any, like whether we had, you know, whether the multiple that I was holding in my head was something that the market would bear. Mm -hmm. So I spent time looking at that. Got it. Um, as far as the timing went, like, I think what had happened is Dan had other things going on. So he'd been, you know, he'd worked on uh, the seven day startup, which is a, a book that he wrote about, you know, how to start something really, really fast, which is great for anyone who's just kind of getting off the ground. Um, but he'd also like, kicked off a brewery. So he's like right into beer brewing and that was a real passion project for him. So I think at the at the same time that we went into the first meeting with GoDaddy, um, his brewery was like opening or just starting on the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. So he really didn't have the, the bandwidth or probably the, the, I guess, the energy to do both. Or maybe he did, but, you know, he had a lot going on on the home front. And I was all in and committed to making this thing happen because I wanted to see it through. So mm -hmm. um, I said to him, I'm like, look, I'm going to like – go 110% on this thing um, and, you know, I'll keep you, like I'm obviously going to keep you up to date and informed and, you know, walk you through the challenges and the questions and stuff that we have, but I kind of want to go this one alone and he was supportive of that. So he kind of gave me space to, to figure it out and work through it and, you know, do that crash course in acquisition, which is, I think it's amazing how much you can learn and how quickly you can pick things up if the pressure is on and if the heat is on. Um, <laughs> Do you recommend so, doing it when the heat is on or maybe like a, a little bit at a time before the heat is on? Um, yeah, if you want to, I, it all feels like a bit of a blur um, looking back. And I probably, yeah, I, I would say if you can find people that know what they're talking about and know what they're doing, like save yourself the energy because 
it is a process. It is something that there are experts available in. I know that uh, Chris, with the work that he does for, for the Radium Weekend stuff, he's like a great resource for figuring out that out. Same with what you do. So like rely on the experts as a reason that these guys have businesses and services around this. Mine was more mine was more necessity where I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to push this through. I need to figure this out. So, yeah. Well, it'd be right though. And it like, it's, it, well, it's interesting. I mean, look, when I started this podcast, Alex, I mean, like there was nothing out there. Like built to sell it barely even started. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, there was just like so few resources and you're like, and like even like half the M&A books have come out probably since we sold our company. And like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I found it difficult. We didn't have the, the resources that you guys, that you had found. And I didn't even know how to hire them. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know what questions to ask. Like, I don't know, you were, mm-hmm. you've got a spreadsheet. You probably know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So what was it, what was it like, you know, with the GoDaddy process? I mean, like, did you, and even before, like, we can maybe go into that, but like, how did you, like, when you said that the multiple, go back to the valuation question before we go into the the processes, you know, you probably, because you strategically knew your value to someone else, is there things that you knew that you're going to have to like write a narrative on or like whether it was the employees that are going to be coming with, had you kind of like structured or thought about like how this was going to fit into someone else? And so there was like strategic value that you were kind of working on and like, what were the things that GoDaddy aligned with the, the, the extra value and the strategic value? Does that make sense? The question? Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I think the advice that I give to other people is try and understand what's in the deal for the other party. So Ultimately, like with our business, it was just a matter of GoDaddy could go and build what we'd built if they wanted to. Like they could figure out how to do it, but what what they were basically paying for was time and reducing their risk. So they didn't need to spin up a team or a project to go and do it. They didn't need to figure out all of the plumbing. They didn't need to do any of that. They could just buy it off the, you know, off the shelf and kind of bolt it on. And I think understanding also the company's history of acquisitions. So. Um, I think by at the time we were acquired, we were probably like their 17th or 18th or something acquisition. So they knew what they were doing. They had a process, they had a team, they've got great people in corp dev. So they had all of that in place. And understanding that and understanding, okay, like if if certain things like tick over, if you get past certain places in the process, then you have like a little bit more certainty, not, a, not as much as you'd hope. Mm-hmm. But you can say, hey, we're you know, past the term sheet stage or we're past this or past that. So, yeah, I guess as far as like understanding understanding where we were at, um, like what value we held to GoDaddy, I was trying to be really pragmatic and not be like, you know, this is this is going to be as significant as a hundreds of millions of dollars acquisition that you know is going to be front page news and there's going to be all this stuff going on. It's like, yes, this is a mm-hmm. you know one of the one of the strategic pillars that they're building their strategy around and they want to make sure that they can do it well. And I'm going to go into this with one, the assumption that, you know, things might blow up and then two, the assumption that I need to build really good relationships with the people that are going to help me steward this thing through because, Mm -hmm. you know, in companies like that, things change um, and things were changing uh, as we were, as we were progressing with the deal. So those are, I guess, a couple of things that, people should remember like if you have for example a business sponsor um whether it's a director a vp an scp or even a ceo get like get some time get some face time with them so they understand who you are and what you're about um i went to i went to drinks at the GoDaddy office in san francisco 
on my birthday night in 2016. <laughs> so I like, I had to commit and go and meet, like I didn't have to, but I chose to commit and go and meet the SVP and just spend, you know, I don't know, 15 minutes chatting with him and seeing what was going on because there was, there was going to be something there. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like getting back to the people element. Like it's the people that push the deal through. Mm-hmm. So understanding that and, you know, so building those relationships with- is important. Right, right. And sorry, sorry for interrupting. I was just curious, like on the, so doing all the PR, which makes a ton of sense. Did you like, had you like known enough through the conversations about what this would have actually cost for them to build it and like the lost revenue and opportunity? Like, so you, did you, did you stray away from like the EBITDA play and just say, Hey, this is what it's worth to you guys. And like, kind of how, how were you positioning the, the acquisition in light of, you know, what they, with, with their needs and wants? It was a bit of a dance. So ultimately, like they didn't know that I think we were looking to exit. Um, we weren't, we weren't big enough for it to be, you know, like it wasn't something that they were going to spend a whole lot of time on. So that was like an opportunity. Um, they looked, did a bunch of research in the market, looked at all the competitors, talked to a bunch of competitors, did all their like diligence on their side. And part of it, I think, was just like pushing like basically pushing, like I was pushing really hard to, you know, keep the, keep the process moving um, mm-hmm. with whatever I could do on my end to make sure that I was like spot on with, you know, diligence and everything else. But as far as the, I guess the multiple went and EBITDA and all that kind of stuff, they were, they were generous and like there's always a negotiation, you know, we'll start at this and we'll go to that and everything else. But I think what often happens in those negotiations is that you both kind of know where you're going to land. Um, as far as the multiple goes, um, and you start at this like these poles apart, and then you meet in the middle, and that wasn't really like as far as like the deal went, um, that wasn't really the biggest the biggest hurdle or sticking point. It was more about figuring out how to actually integrate the business, mm-hmm. because I guess and again to share this with listeners, um, if you have a multiple in mind that you can say, hey, I'm happy to sell at that price, then like that's good. Like it kind of takes that off the table. And once we got to that, then I could focus on the next thing. Um, if you go into it and you start to feel short change, or you're worried about vesting periods, or you're worried about these other things that you know you feel like you might not have um, got your hands on, then that can sour, um, <laughs> can definitely sour things for you, and also take your attention off what needs to happen next, which is you know figuring out okay, how do we you know go from this system to that system, or how do we like relaunch a product, or how do we do this in multiple multiple different languages or you know like in actually get get in and do the work that needs to happen so once they once they arrived at the number that i felt was fair that was it like we just kind of got on with it interesting yeah and then it was more about like the strategic synergies and how you'd actually like how they were going to harvest the value of the acquisition almost it seems like yeah, I, I think I think emo- emotionally, and this is another kind of element, but emotionally, I wanted to make sure I could make it successful. So again, I had something to prove. I want I didn't want to just make some money from it and then just kind of bail out and leave the team hanging. I wanted to make sure that it landed and that you know it it hit what it needed to hit. And that was like again, kind of like following through on the commitment, and making sure that it actually happened and people got taken care of was as almost as important as like make, like making the sale happen itself. Cause if I just walk away and walked away and blew it up, then, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So 
that's that's an element too. Well, and that's, I mean, that's pride, which is nice. I mean, like you have self-worth, which, and there's a lot of people that might not take that approach and which I think, you know, puts buyers up on the defense, which I think why all the, the relationship building you did was super important because they actually, they, they believed it. What was it like, Alex, like doing all of this by yourself while also trying to run a company? And I don't know how much of your time was devoted to the company day to day before you actually started this. And then not only doing it by yourself and running a company, but going up against a team of people that do this for a living. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to take. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was, I was really fortunate in the sense that um, I built a really great team. So as far as the business went, like day-to-day operations of the business, um, I had great team leaders in place that were running the the team of uh, WordPress developers or the WordPress developers were like really great as well. So they all got on with it. Um, so that allowed me to like really step back and, you know, focus on what needed to be focused on, which was, you know, pushing these things through. Now, as far as going up against a team of uh, folks that know what they're doing, I, it's funny because there is this like a kind of combative nature. And we talked about this before the call started, which was, uh, or before the recording started, which was, you know, that I guess you've got, you've got different interests and you've got different things that you're striving for. A buyer wants to get value. A seller wants to get value. Um, where do you meet in the middle? Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was, I'll be honest. I like, I was hard. Um, it was really, really hard to know that you know these guys or this team knows exactly what they're doing, has figured all of this stuff out in advance. And sometimes you feel like you're only getting snippets of information or like different pieces <laughs> yeah. of the full picture, um, and you just want answers. And you know that, like, once you're past. Um, you know, signing the term sheet and you go into a period of exclusivity or whatever else, then it become like the leverage definitely changes. Um, right, right. And you feel that, you feel that pressure, you feel that pinch. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's so where I put it. <laughs> yeah, it really starts, like the pressure just starts to compound. And I've seen this, um, I've seen this with folks that I've worked with who have gone through the same process where it's just like, you know, uh, like a vice that kind of tightens around you and you are trying to do as much as you can to influence and fear, <laughs> but you don't have, you don't necessarily have any influence and you don't have any force. So, you know, you just got to, and I say this and I hate when people say it to me now, but it's true is like trusting the process. Like if it's meant to come off, it's going to come off. You do your level best. And if it doesn't get across the line, well, you're going to learn how an acquisition process works. And that sucks. That really sucks, <laughs> right. but it's true. <laughs> well, and like, and I, I kept telling myself that. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, because like, you know, there's a, so much psychology going on there, Alex, because it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, so it's cost and it's just pure time and emotion. And I always said, mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's like, you know, like in what it's in its, and I don't know about your guys' season in Australia, but like, you know, you're, you're in the U.S. plenty of time. Like it, it, it's like the May. It's in May when school's about to be out, and you're just like, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like mentally, and then like to mm. have that hold the thing. Like, wait, no, you're not done. <laughs> like that alone, I think, makes people make sacrifices in that in that diligence process that they they never wish they would have done. And and the problem with that, and this is the thing, like if you get if you go in and then it's bitter, and like there's something that happens in the deal that is like puts you offside or leaves a bad taste in your mouth. The, the buyer actually, like if they know what they're doing, they don't really want that because they don't want a deal to land and they put a bunch of work in and then hand it over to the business unit. And then you've got, you know, a piss, like a pissed off founder or someone that's really sour. Mm-hmm. So 
and I know I know that like with smaller companies that happens quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, where there'll be some chis- like some chiseling that happen- happens in the deal process, or you know the the buyer will get too aggressive with something, and then the the, the seller will land and just be really upset about things. Um, like it is still a relationship, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, again, I take the pluses and the minuses of it. I was fortunate in the fact that the team, the acquiring team, and the acquiring business unit understood some of this stuff. So they like were respectful and they knew that I was going to be stressed out and they knew that this was a big change and they wrapped a team around that to support it. Um, but still, you go into a big company with an entrepreneurial kind of mindset and then it's like, okay, it's me versus everyone. And this is another <laughs> thing that happens all the time. Yeah, you, you, forget, you forget that you're no longer running the show and you are, like in my case, I became a director of product management. And... Like a founder is a generalist title, but a director of product management is even more ambiguous. And it's like, okay, I have to figure out how to create an environment where I can be successful, but I'm working in someone else's environment now. And that's another thing that just like will, will absolutely rattle you. So yeah, so much, so much good stuff to, to dig into and all that. Well, I was just, so I got a friend, he's got a couple offers on the table right now. And uh, I'm just like, dude, you have no idea what it's like to sit in a conference room with like 10 other people and you think five of them are idiots and you can't fire anybody or make any decisions. Like you're not used to that. <laughs> like just know that that is going to be a scenario that could happen and it's going to be un- unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> well, it's a real, look, it's a real patience tester because the again, like, and I, ca- I cannot speak poorly of GoDaddy because they're like, what they do is amazing. They've got a brilliant business. CEO, CPA, these guys are legends. But the challenge is, like, as an entrepreneur, like, you put your heart and soul into the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Like, every day you show up and you, like, kind of leave it all out on the field. But for, like, folks that work at big companies, like, that can just be a part of their life. Like, it's just eight or 10 hours they put in a day to, you know, have income so they can pay their mortgage and spend time with their family. And they're di- it's just a completely different mindset. So, you know, when you're in those uh, 10 people, 10 person meetings where five people are like completely checked out and the other people are just like saying, you know, whatever it is they said in the last meeting and no one's taking any action from it, like that, that is, that can be torturous, but you have to be prepared for it if you're going to be acquired by a big company because that is what happens. And I love, like, so I was going to say I love seeing it and I don't love seeing it, but I know, I know it's a guaranteed thing where the like everything kind of stops and you're in one of those meetings and you're just like, wow, okay, this happened. Like I'm here now. So I need to figure out, you know, what I can do. But yeah, it, it, it's part of it, man. It is absolutely part of it. So what meeting I'm I, like, I'm sure you, when you just said that you're thinking like, I've got the specific meeting in my head that I was in when that happened <laughs> and like, <laughs> so what, what were your two questions on that? Alex is like, was, uh, like, were you like, what, what was your thought? Like, was it uh okay, I'm going to be okay for a period of time. And like, how did you devise a plan? And cause you're not there anymore. So what kind of led you up to mm-hmm. and from that one moment that you had, and then, did did you have a significant chunk tied to any earnout or milestones that was that forced you to stay longer than you would have after you had that 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 epiphany? Yeah. So as far as the like, I can't specifically get into the deal terms, but as far as the money side goes, like I left a shitload of money on the table by not staying on the GoDaddy, like a shitload. 
And that, I think for me, that was like a personal decision that needed to happen because, you know, I don't think I was super happy. Like I just wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. Um, and as far as like, I guess the meeting and, you know, those moments, like I have a few of them, but I guess one that was funny was when I, like we would have uh, quarterly business reviews, which is, you know, a, like a typical kind of big company thing where you go around and uh, retrospectively look back on the quarter. And I like, I really enjoyed them because that's good FaceTime with, you know, the senior leadership. But for whatever reason, on that day, I just decided to dress down and, you know, not every, like not everyone's in suits <laughs> yes. or anything like that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sitting in this, I'm sitting in this quarterly business review and I've got the CEO sitting across from me, um, the chief product officer and like the chief, like uh, HR guy. And I'm sitting there in like shorts and a t-shirt looking like I just rocked <laughs> up from the beach. That's awesome. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking from their perspective, they're like, who is this big Aussie goose? that just doesn't know how to dress himself. That's just like rocked up half-heartedly. Looks like he's just swanned in from the beach. Like, but that was, that was kind of where I was at. Cause I was in some, in some way, like checked out a little bit, you know, I really was. Cause I was like trying to, trying to figure things out. So, um, you know, leading up to the departure, I think what had happened for me in 2015, I'd actually started, I started coaching a founder um, because he was doing a product service. I did it with him for three months. I didn't charge him a cent because I just wanted to get some of this stuff out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2016, I had another guy reach out. His name's Jake, uh, Jake Jorgovan, and he was doing um, a productized service. I don't know, it was 2017. I'm getting my ears mixed up. But yeah, anyway, so he reached out and he's like, dude, I'd like really like to work with you in a coaching capacity. I'm like, oh, okay. Like he, he pushed me for it for a little while. Um, and then I had more and more people start to, to come to me and I was like doing these coaching calls at, you know, five and six in the morning um, before, you know, I'd sign on to to do GoDaddy stuff. So like, I think like people were knocking on my door saying, Hey, you know, you have some value to offer here or like we appreciate, you know, how you think about this and what you've done there. Um, And it came to me and it was like literally like slapping me in the face for a lot of the time, you know, like, like you want to see things through. So I had that conflict again where I'm like, okay, like a lot of money to leave on the table, a lot of money to kind of walk away from, but, um, you know, personal circumstances change and things that motivate you change. And sometimes the universe has a way of just like making that very obvious to you. Mm -hmm. Like it almost doesn't feel like a choice in some sense. That's yeah, very insightful. And I, I think a lot of people that are listening can probably relate to those different circumstances where there, there's a fork in the road, but that it doesn't really seem like like an, an equal decision because it's so obvious. And I think honestly, Alex, that's why with the listeners on like that that have been tuning in for the like, last few years, like, you know, if you can get to the point where you make it at least enough money up front that you're that you're not unbelievably trapped. So that way you can make at least a little bit of, you know, you know, it's, you know, horizontal moves without totally like blowing up your whole life. You know, I just, I, I find that mm-hmm. way too many times. And I don't know if you, if you see the same thing. Well, when you say horizontal moves, you're talking about like having some optionality or being able to go into something that you, yeah, that like you enjoy. not have to sit in those meetings anymore or like, you know, work for that boss where like, it's like so against your nature and you have internal conflict. And, you know, I think 
so many people get, they're like, well, I need the money. And like the sale is all an earn out or all employment agreement or something like that. And it's too much money where like they don't have these other options. And I, I just, I, it's one of the things I just, I, I, it tears my heart away when you see that happening. Well, I see like the, the money thing is fascinating to me because I've had friends that have made, you know, like eight figures and exits and all like significant, significant money. But the problem is like you can really never have enough money. Because once you hit a particular like milestone that you're striving for, it just like it just goes to the next level. Like you'll want 10x. And that's for whatever reason, that's the way that we're wired. And it's hard to like hard to shortcut or circumvent. Like it's just not something you can necessarily turn off. But mm-hmm. it's like the money, and this is like so trite to say, but the money just like will not make you happy. Like it doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account, how big your house is you know, how fancy your car is, any of that kind of stuff. Like if your day to day is not aligned with like, like I get out of bed in the morning at 3.30 on a Wednesday to take a coaching call with a client in Denmark. I would not do that to go into a 10 person meeting, um, like a teleconference uh, to, you know, just bounce around ideas that may or may not get pushed forward. And like, that's a good litmus test. Like if you are willing to jump out of bed at 3.30 in the morning to do what you do, then hey, you know, maybe the money will come. And, you know, that sounds a bit hippie coming from a guy that sold his company to, uh, you know, a big internet giant. But that's some of the stuff that starts to bubble up after you have that, I guess, that time to reflect, right? It's interesting, Alex. You know what I, like, after so many interviews of talking to these people that have made so much money and they, 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 you, you said it very well. And it's like, I, I've kind of boiled it down to, if you can answer two questions every day when you wake up is, what really sweet problems do I want to solve and who do I want to solve those with? Everything kind of recalibrates around that. <laughs> I mean, because there's not yeah. really, I don't know, there's not really much else besides it. Yeah. And it's like, and the other thing too, right? Like with the, the work that I'm doing right now, I'll talk to founders and you can get hung up on like, <laughs> all right, this is my rate or this is the engagement or like I want some equity or whatever else it is. But if you're in a position and you have the ability to like go out and be helpful to people and not expect everything in return straight away, then like you can truly like just do like have a really good thoughtful conversation, be honest and help them. And somehow or some way, you know, this stuff will come back. And again, like karma and all that good stuff, like obviously like I'm sitting out here in the bush and feeling, you know, quite connected and everything else. But <laughs> some of this is true, right? Like that that uh, that window of coaching that I did with the guy in 2015, I loved it. I freaking love jumping on those calls with him. Like it was right in front of me that whole time and I did it for nothing. Like I, like I didn't ask for anything and I got a whole lot out of it. So sometimes that's a good litmus test as well, which is like, what would I do for free? That's, that's a great question to ask actually. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I bet you'd be right. Cause then like, then, then you maybe, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Wait, so, you know, yeah, you have shared a ton and well, there's probably, you know, hours and hours of stuff that we had didn't even, you know, skin the surface on. If there's maybe something that you want to highlight that we've talked about or something that we didn't touch on that, you know, especially because you're coaching now, so you've got kind of an idea of what people are, are, looking for and they want the crash courses, you know, what, what would you leave? What would you leave uh, people with? Yeah. I think the point that I would make is that everyone's journey is going to be like completely different, right? So 
if you're looking for like education or you're looking for, you know, a how-to or whatever else and something that's prescriptive and is going to tell you what to do here, there, like whatever else, like all of this stuff is really a contact sport, right? Like you don't actually get to learn any of these things until you get in the like get in the mix, and I think Brene Brown talks about it, like getting in the stadium and you know putting putting your neck on the line kind of thing. So, I, whenever I work with anyone in a coaching capacity, I'm always like very clear on saying that every person is different. Everyone's got different needs, and there's no absolute like one size fits all way to get your problem solved. And if you like are respectful of that and honor that, then it takes a lot of pressure off because you don't feel like you have to do something in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's the message that I would share with people. Like I work with clients that are super organized that have, you know, 50 Google docs that, you know, they've got everything kind of mapped out. And then I'll work with guys that people rather, not just guys, but people that, you know, fly into the call, whatever's on the top of mind they want to talk about. And that's okay too. Like everyone has a different style, but as soon as you try and force yourself down a particular path, um, whether it be, you know, an acquisition and you're working for a big company and it's really not your jam or something else, like one way or another, that stuff will bubble up. So, you know, you can, I think I keep getting this advice from friends and family and folks that are around me, which is like, be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'll share that back to, back to the listeners and hope it's helpful for them. I think, yeah, I think it's super helpful. I mean, like you're, if you're out of if you're out of balance with yourself, it's gonna eventually ripple into everything else, right? <laughs> like it's gonna show it's gonna show up and manifest itself in probably not very healthy ways. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you and I probably got we could share more more of that with the listeners. Um, what if they want to tell us a little bit more about your coaching and then how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I I coach founders now um and it's kind of like me solving a problem that i had which i kind of wish i had an advisor or a coach um through some of the stuff that you know i went through um i do like right now i don't even know if i have spots available because i've got a handful of folks that i'm talking to for group coaching and individual coaching but if people have questions or they want to reach out to me um, my email is alex at productize.co um, and the website is productize.co. So, um, you know, I talk to people about the positioning of that and, you know, are you really clear on what it is that you do and how you help founders and everything else? And I think productize is just like, uh, ambiguous as I can get where, you know, it's memorable too. So running with that, um, working with folks individually and taking calls with founders and seeing how I can help and kind of taking it from there. So. Yeah, if people listen to this and they're you know going through an acquisition or need a hand or just want to chat, they can feel free to hit me up and you know I'll jump on a call and share share what I can share. I absolutely had a blast, and I appreciate you coming on the show, Alex. Right on. Thanks for having me, man. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Alex. I really, really had a blast talking to him. He gave great insight. I think if there's a couple big takeaways is one is that what Alex did and doing it himself is crazy risky. It's a ton of work. And I really, really suggest that if you're thinking about this at all, make sure that you're doing the work ahead of time. So that way, when you do get a random offer, you've got all your stuff prepped, ready to go. You know what kind of deal structure you want. You know the terms, conditions. You got your team it's worth doing the work now before something randomly comes, but also you can go engineer the actual exit that you want. And I think, you know, the other big takeaway is 
I don't know exactly how much money Alex left on the table in a potential earnout or the note that he left by leaving GoDaddy, but I really suggest that if you're going to have money on the table that is contingent of you working there, really wrap your head around what you think it's going to be like working for another individual, another company, and being an employee. And how much of your payout do you want to tie to you working there versus how much money you need up front so you've got the freedom and flexibility to leave and walk away knowing that it's more of the F you kind of money or the I don't need this. And if it is challenging or you hate it or you don't like it, you don't feel trapped that you need that money. So you have to work there. As far as the last takeaway, if you're interested in doing one-on-one coaching with myself, because you want to understand where you're at and where you need to go as far as growing and selling your company, reach out to me at Ryan at GXP Collaborative. Shoot me a LinkedIn message. I'm only doing five one-on-ones this year. So if you're interested, reach out. We're going to be wrapping that up by the end of January. So let's get on the calendar and have a conversation. Otherwise, I will see you next week.